Welcome to the Hypocritical Podcast by Pal Box. I'm Olena Hugh, your host, and joining me is President and CEO Hoala Grevy. How's it, Olena? Fired up to be here. <laughs> Excellent. We've got a lot happening on the show. We're going to talk about the latest in news, of course, winners and failures and predictions. All right, let's dig right into it. And uh, our latest news development we're going to chat about is the mobile device data breach settlement. Uh, what can you tell us about that, Hawala? Sure. Okay. So <clears throat> this is why you should care. A large organization, the University of Rochester Medical Center, it was issued a $3 million HIPAA fine for not encrypting data at rest. So what does that mean? It means that they had a laptop and a flash drive stolen, one of their employees. These devices had protected health information, and these devices did not have their hard drives encrypted. So uh, they were required to report that to the HHS, Health and Human Services. A two-year investigation in ensues, and then they get issued a $3 million fine. During the course of the investigation, as is often the case, they find other things to add to the list, one of which was not conducting an enterprise-wide risk analysis. So key takeaways. One, encrypt all your high drives of all your computers in your organization. I don't care if it's a laptop or desktop. The easiest way to do this, encrypt all of them. There are free and straightforward ways to do this. If you're on a Mac, it's built into the computer. If you're on Windows, the latest versions of Windows have uh, Bitdefender or BitLocker. And Windows has free uh, hard drive encryption tools in the later, latest versions of Windows. So it's free to do, do it. Also, I have a somewhat controversial idea here, which we've been uh, discussing internally for a couple of years. And that is, if you're a HIPAA organization, whether that's covered entity or business associate, man, just forbid all flash drives. That's the easiest way to do it. It's too damn hard to figure out if the flash drive is the one that's encrypt, that encrypts itself at rest or not. Just forbid all of them. Use cloud device uh, storage things like Box or Dropbox. You can get a business associate agreement with them. Way simpler. Just ban all that stuff. It's three million bucks here. That's crazy. Right. Hold on. I think that's a really good point. Um, and who goes around with flash drives anymore? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is probably somebody's car, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they were shopping at a mall and some, some thief just breaks in, steals the backpack, and boom, it's got double whammy in there. So just ban the flash drives if you're in HIPAA and encrypt all your hard drives at rest. Um, if, if you've got laptops or desktops. In fact, we've seen instances where desktops that were in an office location, these guys just broke in and just stole everything that wasn't bolted down. And so that organization, they're in Los Angeles, they had to report a HIPAA breach because they didn't encrypt the drives of the desktops in the office because they incorrectly assumed those computers would never leave the office. And what do you know? these thieves just stole anything that wasn't bolted down. So even mm -hmm. that is at risk. 
you would think that by now um, all of this would be, you know, under lock and key and people would be responsible and they would have some form of uh, standard, you know, don't take your laptop from work and leave it in the car or don't leave flash drives with important information available, you know, in public settings. Uh, so definitely a good reminder. Um, obviously, great takeaways and great insight from you, Hoala. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Fired up. Like I said, man, this is hypocritical stuff here. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, what other things do you foresee in terms of, you know, because we, we've seen this many times over the past few years and you've probably seen this, you know, quite often as well. What other kind of things can we learn from this situation? Yeah. Great, great question. Okay. So as I mentioned, during the investigation, Health and Human Services discovered that this organization, Rochester Medical, had not conducted an enterprise-wide risk analysis. This thing needs to be done every year, and we would highly recommend organizations like the Compliancy Group, which is a partner of ours, would that provide this kind of service. So the, uh, the keynote or the, the big takeaway with using companies like Compliancy Group is they make sure that this doesn't happen to you. In fact, it's my understanding no customers of a compliancy group have ever been issued a HIPAA fine. So you just got to stay on top of that. You got to budget for vendors like that. And you got to do that once a year. Go with people like these guys. And then you just take that away as a potential fine item. Because we see this all the time. Not doing the enterprise-wide risk analysis. Excellent. Great to uh, hear you know, your insights as well. So this week, we're going to feature an interesting interview conducted by our chief marketing officer, Rick Kuwahara. He had a chance to talk with Christine Sublet. She's president and principal consultant of Sublet Consulting. In part one of the interview, Christine covers her thoughts on how government is doing with cybersecurity and healthcare since she served on the HHS Healthcare Cybersecurity Task Force in 2017. Take a listen. And it's been a few years since you've been on the HHS Healthcare Cybersecurity Task Force. How do you think the government has been doing in supporting cybersecurity efforts? The vast majority, so about 90% of healthcare in the U.S. is delivered by a practice of nine or fewer uh, providers. Most of the, the healthcare people are getting is not from a huge organization like a, you know, um, a Stanford hospital or a, you know, UC San Francisco or a New York Presbyterian or a Mayo. It's coming from, you know, a small provider in a small to mid-sized town. And the vast majority of these folks don't have someone on their staff with cybersecurity expertise. And so they either don't have the expertise or they're, they don't have or are not willing to put forth the uh, money to get for, for those cybersecurity resources or they can't find the cybersecurity resources because we're really short in terms of, in this country, in terms of the numbers of security resources that we need and the people who actually do that kind of work. Um, and so, um, you know, it's a huge challenge when, when you think about 90% of the healthcare being delivered by these organizations where they have inadequate cybersecurity resourcing and technology. And so what this waiver uh, would do, um, this change of policy, um, would allow um, uh, organizations like a cybersecurity vendor to provide um, technology. Um, uh, at no or low cost to 
to different vendors, or it would allow, you know, a big entity. So let's say you're a giant uh, healthcare conglomerate, and you have a bunch of community physicians who, you know, you do, who, who kind of partner with you, but they're not part of your organization. And because of the kickback rules, the anti-kickback rules, you couldn't, you know, this giant conglomerate couldn't give this smaller community-based physician, um, you know, a, a firewall or couldn't give them, you know, antivirus software or, you know, any other type of cybersecurity technology. But under this proposed policy change, it would allow these types of things to actually happen. And the, and the reason this is so important to all of us is that, you know, healthcare, part of its aim right now and for the last many years has been this concept of interoperability and this ability to share data freely uh, amongst providers so that patients can get the care they need when they need it. And that's a wonderful goal and something we really should be aspiring towards. But part of the problem there is when we start connecting these systems is it's like the the uh, what's it, the analogy of a, a weak uh, of a you know of a chain it's only as strong as its weakest link and if your weakest link is you know um, um, a community provider with you know two computers with no passwords and you know no firewall and no antivirus and you know your resident hacker from Eastern Europe has taken up residence in it, it, you probably don't want to connect that to your systems. But, you know, if you can, you as the big conglomerate can say, well, now I'm confident that we, you know, you have adequate security practice on your side, right? It makes the sharing of data and the delivery of the kind of healthcare we want to be delivering in this country more of a, a possible reality. In terms of other progress we've been making at the federal level, um, there is also a, a group called the uh, Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council. And this group uh, maintains a joint cybersecurity working group made up of government and industry partners. And we've um, been working you know, diligently um, since the task force report came out to address the recommendations in the report and have put out um, what I think is, is some incredibly fine guidance um, related to a variety of different areas um, including um, uh, medical device security, and um, uh, we're finalizing telehealth and telemedicine security, and you know just a series of all sorts of wonderful guidance to industry. And what what makes us so unique, I think, and um, such a such a uh, fine project is that this the uh, joint cyber working groups have been made up of professionals not only from healthcare um, what we think of you know patient delivery healthcare but also um, uh, security consultants and technology vendors and um, uh, folks from government so uh, from HHS or DHS FDA some of the federal um, departments that have you know, a stake in this game, um, as well as uh, folks like the medical device um, manufacturers and digital health companies and EHR companies. And so what's great about the, the, the different uh, sets of guidance that they're issuing is that, um, you know, nobody is getting everything they want, but we're all agreeing that this is the right approach. And so, you know, I take something like the, um, uh, what we call the JSP, it's the Joint Security Program, and it's a um, document put together by medical device manufacturers, as well as healthcare providers. 
And what we've we've said in this in this in this uh, document really is is these are the things that we say need to be done from um, the perspective of a healthcare provider to ensure that these devices are secure. And these are the things that a medical device company needs to do to ensure that these devices are secure. And this is how we're going to work together to ensure that we're creating an environment where we can use these devices safely in healthcare. And, and so it's fantastic because the medical device manufacturers have agreed to these set of requirements and the healthcare providers have agreed to their set of requirements. And so when a medical device manufacturer goes into a hospital and wants to sell their device there, the hospital can pull out this joint security plan, the JSP, and say, well, here's a great uh, check checklist of all the things that you should have built into your device from a security perspective and talk to us about where you are with these. And the medical device manufacturer hopefully has seen this before and can say, here's exactly how we're doing that. And so we, we're, we're trying to create a situation with all of these different sense of guidance where uh, healthcare providers can look at these, no matter their size, no matter how many resources they have or don't have on the security side, and figure out how to start you know, from where they are, whether it's literally we haven't done much and we really know we need to do things, help us understand how to start to working with more mature programs that already do have some, you know, pretty amazing systems and processes in place, but, um, you know, still can go a little bit further along. That's great. And that sounds like it's really helping to address, you know, some of the gaps that have kind of been created when, you know, all these new innovative, you know, technologies come along. There's a gap to the adoption and also, uh, gap in, like you said, the knowledge, the security knowledge needed to make sure that if you are implementing mm -hmm. them, that is done in a safe way. Exactly. So as we wind down 2019, a lot of organizations are planning for you know, next year. Uh, is there any security areas that healthcare organizations may not be focusing enough on? Definitely. When, it, when I think about um, what organizations should be planning for in 2020, um, you know, I, I think to a large degree because of things like the task force report, um, which now is, you know, it's been out two and a half years and the work of the um, uh, sector council groups, um, as well as frankly, just the um, realization and, and the fact that, that uh, you know, so many healthcare organizations are being hacked or mm -hmm. suffering some type of inappropriate disclosure of data or uh, cybersecurity event, um, you know, where either data is disclosed or data is disclosed and they've had a ransomware attack or they've had a ransomware attack and can't function and are truly unable to deliver healthcare. And we're seeing that more and more often throughout the world uh, nowadays, um, that um, they're just really more aware of the problem and understand that they need to be more proactive. And so, you know, most, I think that most healthcare entities at least know that they have these issues that they need to focus on. And so, you know, I, I think for a lot of organizations where, you know, that are really starting still at a fairly low level from a cybersecurity posture perspective, um, you know, doing, doing a risk assessment to understand where their risks are so that they can address those gaps first. You know, I, when, when some organizations, particularly those that don't have um, cybersecurity leadership, um, 
often end up, uh, you know, hearing about a technology and thinking that sounds like it might address some of their issues and, you know, buy it and, and they may get some value from it, but it, you know, without understanding um, where the gaps are and the, the level of risk associated with those gaps, it's really hard to, you know, take a limited amount of, of dollars and or resourcing, human resourcing, and attack those things that bring the biggest value from a risk reduction perspective. And so having a program in place to help you understand the gaps and understand the risk associated with the gaps, right, is, you know, you can have a list of, you know, 100 things that are, that are truly security issues, right? But many of these probably don't present nearly the level of risk as a handful of them. You know, so it's what are, what are the things that really present that type of risk to the organization and, and then how do we address those? And, and that's how I like to focus generally with companies I advise is, yes, we have a, you know, a basket full of things we should be doing, but we can't do them all today. So how do we, you know, mitigate the greatest amount of risk in the shortest amount of time with the least, you know, with whatever um, type of budget we have to work with? Right. The the other thing I think that companies um, in healthcare as well as in other um, verticals need to be doing much more of is um, incident response planning, and you know it is I think for a long time companies really believed they weren't a target. You know I I truly cannot tell you how many times I've heard in the last thirty years that um, you know we've never had a breach or. Um, and, and I have to confess, every time I've heard that in my head, I have this little voice that says, that you know of. Because, <laughs> you know, in, in many cases, uh, companies that say this, they don't actually have the monitoring tools in place to even know if they've had one. Right. So it's, it's truly not a matter of, you know, whether a company hasn't had a breach or thinks they haven't had a breach. Or, it, you know, a lot of folks think because they're small that they're not a target. And the reality is, is everybody's a target. You know, if you're on the internet, you're a target. And so it's, you know, we, I think what we have to do is to stop thinking like that and start thinking more about how will we respond when we have an incident? Because we will all have incidents and many of them will not reach the level of a breach, right? Mm -hmm. Or an inappropriate disclosure of information. Um, or a system compromise, but we'll all have incidents, you know, things that reach the level of what our organization considers something that we have to have an organized response for. And so I, I think that companies need to spend a lot more time thinking about, um, you know, what does their incident re response plan look like? Um, who's, who are the members of this incident response plan? How are you going to work through these incidents? When do you actually invoke your plan? And then, of course, what I think is one of the most important pieces is uh, testing that plan, you know, having a real tabletop exercise where you work through uh, scenarios that are designed to help an organization bring the right people to the table and think about and walk, literally walk through um, this pretend scenario um, from a cybersecurity perspective and your incident response plan and understand how are we going to react when this happens to us? Because it is truly not a matter of uh, when or if. It's not an if this will happen question. It's a when this happens question. Mm -hmm. 
We'll have part two of the interview on our next episode. You can also find the full transcript of the interview on our blog. It's posted on powbox.com. All right, so now we're going to focus on winners, people who are winning this week. And, uh, you know, obviously it's good to have a little bit of good news to share. Atlanta. So first winner that I'd like to talk about is our homies at Redox. This is a, a startup that's on fire right now. Uh, I know some of the founders, they're really nice folks, and they've also launched their own podcast right around the same time as us. So go ahead and subscribe to them. I'd highly recommend it. You just type in R-E-D-O-X, Redox, you'll find their podcast right there. Uh, I've subscribed myself a couple days ago, looking to learn from them on best practices and maybe uh, share a few guests as well. I think they had Jonathan Bush as their first guest, uh, which, was a, which is a big get. Very cool. What do they do specifically? Okay, so Redox builds itself as the simplest way for vendors and providers to exchange health, healthcare data. They standardize the data, they maintain integration, and they get technology in the hands of patients and providers. Super cool startup. Uh, friends of ours, customers of ours, these guys are on fire, rocket ship style, man. <laughs> Wonderful. And also, we want to focus on another winner. AWS launches Amazon Transcribe Medical and another highlight that we want to focus on. Yeah, so uh, not to be on the bandwagon for AWS and winning, but we do got to give these folks props. Um, they are getting in. They are looking to integrate further into Alexa and having Alexa transcribe medical notes. I personally cannot stand Alexa. I unplug the damn thing in my house. I don't want big brother listening to me, but in this kind of healthcare situation, especially considering most physicians are burned out by transcribing medical notes, I think there could be some real value here. So we got to give hats, hats off to these guys. Um, very clever use of uh, getting Alexa into HIPAA compliant situations of, over medical transcription. And that's good also because people can learn from their example. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, Amazon's uh, doing its thing. They got pill packed. Now they're doing transcription. Uh, they're definitely making a big push into healthcare. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Okay. And so, you know, we focused on those that are winning this week. And uh, of course, when you have winners, there are also some failures. And we've heard about this in the news, Centara Hospitals making headlines. Uh, what can you tell us about this, Paula? Oh, man. Yeah. So headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh, $2.2 million uh, HIPAA fine. Uh, they had a billing mix-up where um, invoices and receipts were physically mailed to the wrong people. I guess it was a bad mail merge. Uh, they initially thought it was only eight individuals, but it turns out after the investigation, there was a lot more than that. Uh, close to 600 uh, individuals were affected. And so that underreporting uh, got them in hot water with HHS, which led to the $2 million fine. So um, real fines, real penalties, um, you know, it's just in every, yeah, that's where that's the state of HIPAA right now. Real fines and real penalties. Penalties. Yeah, they're saying, uh, you know, obviously the information from over sixteen thousand different mailing level uh, labels were merged, and so they discovered five hundred seventy-seven billing statements containing unsecured information were mailed, and that's obviously obviously could impact hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. So unfortunate 
unfortunate. But we also have another situation in terms of failures. Nebraska Medicine breached by a rogue employee. Yeah, they had the insider threat there. That's uh, typically why organizations purchase data loss prevention uh, solutions, DLP, to prevent rogue employees from doing stuff like this. Um, emailing uh, patient healthcare information. I, I don't know why, but you know, uploading a spreadsheet or a PDF and just emailing it to their personal Gmail account in a, you know, and some surreptitious uh, method where they're not telling anybody, I don't know why they do that, but this happens uh, more than we, than we care to admit. And this is why people buy solutions like DLP. Yeah. So Lena, so I'm fired up to cover predictions this week. Uh, we are learning some new stuff on the front lines of healthcare and if you're not in healthcare, you might think what I'm about to say is pretty lame, pretty simple. But if you're in healthcare, you know that what I'm about to talk about is freaking cutting edge, man. So here's the deal. We've got DMEs, right? These are companies that pr provide durable medical equipment. These are people that drop off equipment to homes, uh, houses, hospitals, nursing homes, facilities like that. We're talking beds, uh, breathing devices, uh, masks, just dropping off medical equipment, DMEs, right? There's some big players in the space. Um, and here's what's going on, right? So these DME companies, 90, maybe even 99% of their revenue comes from the insurance companies, right? So they're not Yes, the, the patient is getting the equipment delivered to them, whether that's at their house or in a hospital or in a nursing home. However, the insurance company is paying for it. Um, big ones are COPD devices, right? If you've got uh, you know, lung problems from smoking too many years, a lot of COPD uh, devices are delivered in DME. Now, DMEs at this state in 2019, they are barely touching e-commerce at all, right? So if you're a patient and you want to buy some stuff directly from the DME vendor, you just can't do it. They, they want you to negotiate with the insurance company, yada, yada, yada. However, there's a lot of stuff that insurance companies won't pay for, right, that these DMEs will supply. So I think what we're going to see going forward is this push by DMEs to incorporate e-commerce into their marketing and business development strategies to allow consumers to purchase equipment directly from them and pay for it with their own credit card. I know this sounds really simple compared to things like Amazon and buying a book, but in healthcare, it's, I mean, this is like cutting edge stuff, right? But this is why it's so tough because if you're gonna do e-commerce, well then a critical component should be email marketing, right? This is how people buy stuff. Uh, we're talking Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Hey, over half that stuff is taking place over email. And if you're trying to target consumers based on past purchases, that immediately triggers HIPAA regulations because that involves protected health information. Just the mere fact you're emailing someone on their past purchase history of medical equipment. So, We've already done that research. We know that a majority of email marketing firms want nothing to do with HIPAA or any regulations like that. They don't want you even storing stuff in their cloud. And so I think um, in the time ahead of us, this secure patient outreach 
this concept of allowing e-commerce to occur for healthcare entities uh, and players in the market, like these DMEs, is going to be a huge revenue booster. And I think this is why, you know, on our end, we see a definite opportunity here to enable them to do that via email. So email marketing in healthcare, especially for these DMEs to really kick off their e-commerce uh, objective. So that's my prediction. That's my 2020 prediction. Boom. <laughs> and where do you, when do you foresee uh, your launch? We are looking to launch our HIPAA compliant email solution by February 1st of 2020. We're heads down on it right now. We've got a stripped down V1 that we're looking to launch. We've already signed up customers for it. They can't wait for us to finish so they can use it. Um, we think this is going to be a hit. We obviously are going to have to iterate quickly after launch, but Hey man, that's what we do with every other product we've launched. So, uh, looking forward to doing this. And I think, um, there's just an ocean of untapped opportunity here. Um, when we're talking about email marketing as it relates to healthcare and especially when HIPAA gets triggered, there's just an ocean of opportunity. So we're fired up on 2020 and the road ahead, for sure. Excellent. And I know a lot of people are excited for that. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to the HIPAA Critical Podcast. My name is Elena Hugh, and we've got Hoala Grevy joining us. And for more information on Powbox, you can log on to powbox.com. That's P-A-U-B-O-X.com. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha. See you next week.